Hello and welcome to Canada and Sound of Play 79. Wednesday and Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Joining me, Ryan Heyman, in Sound of Play 79 is Spencer Saunders. Oh. Now, you are a member of our forum. You're one of our uh, listeners from a long time now. Uh, you go by Telepri. Is that the pronunciation? We've always debated about that when we've read your stuff. Um, is it like Telepri, like a telephone, or is it Telepri? You're just really supposed the, to roll into that sound? That second one's what I usually <laughs> go with, Telepri. Okay. Yeah. Telepri. Cool, cool. All right. Where does that name come from now that we have you in the hot seat here? <laughs> um, so that's a fun story. Uh, it's sort of stupid, too. Um, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> uh, back in, oh, I have no idea what year it would have been, but on the Wii, there's a Final Fantasy game, a downloadable mm-hmm. title, 
uh, called hmm. My Life as a King. I don't know if you ever played it. Oh, gosh. I I think I remember hearing about it, but I don't think I ever made the mental association with Final Fantasy. It was canonically a part of that series, It was though? Crystal Chronicles. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So, cool. me and a friend just, like, bought it on a whim because we were bored one day or something. And mm-hmm. we're having trouble coming up with a name for the kingdom or the city or whatever that you're supposed to run. And so, mm-hmm. we just started throwing letters together. And that's what came out. <laughs> and then I just sort of adopted it because I liked the way it sounded. And Yeah, sure. I always, I am um, always paralyzed with indecision every time I have to name myself in a video game. I've uh, I've taken the, to the strategy of uh, usually either naming the character after myself, if I can make him look like myself in the character editor, just because I think that's fun. Or um, I always draw different character names from the Dracula novel. For some reason, they just have a bunch of really good names in there. I got Renfield and my Pokemon X. I've got my uh, Animal Crossing um, Mayor Seward. And it was just some good names in there. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, but everybody has to come up with their stra- uh, their strategies. Otherwise, they will be driven crazy every time that name input scream comes up. A lot of times I like to go with uh, rhyming things. One of my characters mm. in uh, Salt and Sanctuary, Stabby Abbey. <laughs> that seems appropriate. Uh, anyways, uh, we are uh, displaying a, a whole eclectic range of music from all different types of uh, video games today. And uh, there will be things ranging from really kind of slow, melancholy pieces to really upbeat, fast, uh, electronica type pieces and everything in between. And I will uh, compliment you on... You've embraced the full eclecticness of the show in just one track, which is hard to do. This is a a rather dour sounding song that's a remix from a very upbeat and lively game. So uh, do you want to talk us through what this first track is here? Um, so it's called The Curb Reich from, well, it's a remix from Kirby Superstar on the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. This remix is actually part of a remix album. I believe I mentioned uh, that's on Overclocked Remix, but the full album is called Milky Way Wishes. On the YouTube description for the for the artist's video from a uh, Brandon Strader, he mentioned something about it being canceled. Although I have the album, so I'm assuming that it ended up not being canceled. I think it's just available via the Overclocked Remix website. There's a few other interesting tracks. I think that the Curb Reich is probably in my top two or three on there. But I definitely recommend checking out one called Ska Buffet, which is also, I'm pretty sure it's a cover of Green Greens, but a Ska cover. I forget how I came across it. I think I was just listening to like remix songs. It's on the uh, Overclocked Remix. Just came across it and I love the, like just the, like you said, the contrast between a very cheerful game and how dark and sort of evil it sounds. <laughs> I love the yeah, idea of like uh... Kirby running around through the trenches and whatnot. Maybe one day, if the uh, North American box art is anything to go by, maybe one day we'll get that dark, gritty Kirby game that uh, nobody really wants. But uh, but it certainly does make for some interesting music there. That's true. And this wasn't intentional, but uh, it sort of reflects current events that we've been <laughs> seeing. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's been a theme on the show for the last few weeks. Yeah, I've noticed that. <laughs> it's kind of hard to to steer our minds away from that, but we come here as a uh, as a 
tranquil garden as a retreat from the outside world. And so, yeah, uh, yeah we'll try to not drag people too far into that, but instead give you some, uh, some soothing, fun music. <laughs> yeah. How much uh, Kirby have you played? I am a Kirby dabbler, I would say. I've played a fair amount. I think I've beaten two Kirby games. I've beaten Epic Yarn and um, I was going to say Third Strike, but that's not Kirby. What is the one on 3DS? Um, triple I'm triple not Deluxe, sure. is that it? That, <laughs> that sounds, sounds right. right. Triple Deluxe, I'll call it that. Um, I've beaten those two. I have played... Um, I've sat down with... Uh, superstars quite a few times and i think i played one of the game boy color ones really enjoyed it but just never really like it was never my game of focus at any point and so i always enjoy the time that i spend with kirby and then epic yarn is just kind of a different thing entirely that's a wonderful little game but um kind of separate from the main kirby series Uh, i didn't care for triple deluxe that much just because i felt like it I just got kind of bored with it. I felt like it didn't really invent uh, in new ways that I was expecting from a, at that point would have been like 2013 Nintendo game. Um, They were kind of at a high point, especially on the 3DS. But uh, how far back do you go with the Kirby games? I think the first one I can remember playing would have been on the 64 with the Crystal Shard. Yes. (laughs) Um, Really enjoyed that one with how you could like combine powers and stuff. But uh I don't think I ever beat it back then. I've played it since then and like gone through and beaten it, I think, on the Wii uh, Virtual Console. Aside from that, um, the only one I've put a lot of time into was Kirby's Adventure. But again, that uh, originally on the Nintendo, and hmm. that was on the uh, Wii Virtual Console. Okay. And I played quite a bit of Kirby's Pinball Land on the Game Boy. Was that one where you could tilt the table or is that a different one that I'm thinking of? I think that's a different one. Cause, okay, the yeah. Kirby Tilt and Tumble, if I remember correctly. The pinball one, uh, tell me about that. Is that just standard pinball? Pretty much. Um, reminds me some of Sonic Spinball, which okay, I never yeah. got too far in that. But where there's some elements of like Kirby games, you have like boss fights and things. Mm. <laughs> if I remember it right, that's cool. there's like three tables Maybe there's a fourth unlockable one, but there are three tables I can think of. And each one had like three or four screens. So you'd try to be working your way up the table. And at the, mm. at the end of it was a boss. It's kind of like at the at around the same time on the Game Boy Color, Nintendo put out a Pokemon pinball game as well. That it, it used a similar kind of pinballifying aspects of the uh, Pokemon series. And then they would revisit the concept with, what, Metroid Prime pinball later on? Uh, that's a weird choice. But yes, the uh, the music is always a uh, one of the highlights of uh, the Kirby games. Um, it, it's always had a very distinctive tone about it and uh, a, a lot of uh, motifs that pop up um, quite frequently throughout the entire series, which is always fun to hear the same song kind of endure for 25 to 30 years or so. Yeah, definitely. I think the place that I hear it the most is definitely Smash Brothers Melee, yes. <laughs> that stage. Yep, yep. That's right. That was a very popular stage. Uh, two stages in Melee, actually. Yeah, there's yeah. Fountain of um, Dreams and Green mm-hmm. Greens. But anyways, this this next track that we're going to be moving on to is another Nintendo piece, uh, not on Smash Bros, but still in that very upbeat Nintendo fun, fun style. This is from Rhythm Heaven Fever, which you can hear us talking about in Kane and Rince issue 45 a long time ago, uh, which actually that 
that issue is what made me uh, curious about the Rhythm Heaven series in the first place. And I'm uh, glad that they opened my eyes to it, or ears, rather. Um, well, it's hard to play without your eyes uh, in this particular one. Uh, this track is the, it's a uh, remix number 10, and it is composed by Tsunko Male Sign. I don't know how to, uh, how to incorporate that into his name, but it's kind of a, a cute little, um, a little punctuation he puts on the end of his name there. This is kind of the, the culmination of the entirety of Rhythm Heaven Fever. At the end of every four stages, they give you a remix stage, which incorporates elements of the four stages that you've just played and it uh, kind of feeds you scenes from those pretty rapid fire so you have to kind of think on your feet and remember everything that you've been taught in these various kind of like rhythm patterns and uh, they're quite challenging sometimes but remix 10 is kind of notorious for being the most challenging because it draws from uh, pretty much every remix in the entire game and uh, just rapid fire just throws you uh, different little scenes and notes and and stuff and you have to remember like oh this is what i do when the shrimps are on screen or when the boxer is being interviewed or um it, it's quite frantic it's qu- quite hectic and it's uh, a lot of fun and uh, being a really really big fan of rhythm heaven fever i am very familiar with all the music and i think that you'll get the most from this song if you are familiar with the music Uh, This particular version of the song is just the instrumental. It doesn't have any of the voices or any of the sound cues or anything like that. Um, But if you're familiar enough with the uh, with the original songs, then you can you can kind of hear the music in the background and you'll know like, oh, yeah, this is the part with the baseball player. And this is the part with the uh, this is flock step. And this is the part with the spider candy factory. And and so it's just fun to listen to and kind of like quiz yourself on how well you know that soundtrack um now spencer is uh have you played any of the rhythm heaven games before um what's the one that just came out on the 3ds that is mega mix so i've played the demo for that one okay because it i think i saw like you and maybe some other people talking Mm -hmm. about it a lot seems like something that i would enjoy if i actually got it and put the time into it Mm -hmm. but most of the time uh almost any time when i'm playing games especially handhelds and things usually not listening to the sound or to the music yeah and trying to listen to like <laughs> podcasts or do something else at the same time it definitely is a full attention type game it seems like it'd be right up my alley because i love like WarioWare, i love mini games mm-hmm. and i love yep, rhythm yep. games so yeah i think this is the same WarioWare people even uh and the same artist as well uh so a lot of the same blood between those two series Um, The 3DS game is really good in that it gives you a lot of value for the money. Um, There's a lot packed into that download or that cartridge or however you end up getting it. Um, It has almost every song from the entire series up to that point. Uh, But I still, for newcomers, recommend the Wii game, uh, which is downloadable on the Wii U for uh, probably 20 bucks or so. And it's also, uh, you can probably find it on on Wii Disc, and that plays in the Wii U as well. Um, but I, I recommend the, the Wii version to play as opposed to the 3DS version because I, I feel like it, it does gain something from being that full screen experience. And I feel that they uh, paced a little bit differently because, you know, if you're on a handheld, you're kind of on the move, you want things to be quick and snappy. And the, the Wii U version certainly doesn't dawdle, but it 
it's able to uh, kind of stretch out its arms a little bit more when it needs to. Uh, one of my very favorite parts is the uh, the very first stage. It kind of opens into a tutorial stage where a monkey is teaching you how to golf. And it's uh, it does a few kind of like trolley things at the beginning to kind of catch new players off guard. And, um, and then it kind of laughs at you afterwards. And uh, it, it's all in good fun. It's uh, uh, quite a silly little scene there. But it's the kind of thing that I feel would have been cut out of the 3DS version just to kind of abbreviate the play experience to, um, uh, to handheld players. And so it, it is a different experience between the two. Uh, well, anyways, this is Remix 10 by Tsunko Mail Symbol. <laughs> uh, and this is from Rhythm Heaven Fever. If you are a fan of the game, try to listen close, closely and quiz yourself and uh, come up with how many of these remixes you recognize.
All right, so that was... Oh. So Remix 10 from Rhythm... Uh-oh. Are we, are we good to come back now? All right, anyways, our next track here is from uh, a request from the forum. This is from Sam Watt, who says, I'd like to request a track from Vincent Diamante, a song that brings me right back to nature. After many months of university... I at last had the chance of traveling to my dear girlfriend after four painfully long months. It was early June, and the whole summer was ahead, but I had only two weeks to spend with her before a long sentence back at my remote home of Ireland. Uh, sentence. I like that, uh, that choice of words there. It's very evocative. Um, across the mountain, we walked for hours, through the forest, and across the plateau. Eventually, we stopped to rest on a rock overlooking her home city of Sofia, and I felt so free. The sharp wind cooled me from the blaring sun and Vincent Diamante's lazy daydream sang in our ears. The song reminds me so vividly of sitting atop that mountain, feeling time stop as I watch the clouds drift overhead and hold on to that fleeting moment of peace. The realization that I had a meager few days left with her came through the saddened tone near the song's end, but this piece from Flower has a home in my memory as, as my summer daydream. That's a nice story. I kind of, I, I wonder if, as he said in the, that little soliloquy there, uh, that lazy daydream sang in our ears, whether he's being metaphorical or whether he has a uh, ghetto blaster on his shoulder playing the flower soundtrack <laughs> as he's hiking over the hills. Uh, this is uh, a request from Sam Watt, but it's also kind of a request from you. Uh, you wanted me to include this request specifically on the show. Do you want to go into why that is? Um, well, I was just looking through the community uh, mm-hmm. requests and whatnot. That one caught my eye, I think. As far as that game company games go, uh, I actually prefer Flower over Journey, hmm. which why is that? I think it might have to do with the order that I played them in. I only just played Journey um, last summer, mm-hmm. and it definitely felt like it was overhyped for me. Hmm. Whereas Flower, I just sort of went into it blind. I didn't play it. I played it on the Vita version first, oh, okay. and then later came to the PlayStation Four. But even mm-hmm. that like first uh, time playing it on the Vita just seemed really special. Both of those games, and I like both of those games a lot. I'm not trying to put down Journey, certainly. Uh, but it's kind of the Uncharted 2, Uncharted 3 problem in that they're both really good games, but they are, if you really break them down, essentially the same game over again. Um, you know, both Flower and Journey follow pretty much the same story points at exactly the same moments and they hit the same emotional punches like exactly at the same time as the other one did whereas like if you were to play them side by side their emotional arcs would align pretty much perfectly i'd imagine uh with a very similar ending to the both of them as well yeah maybe it's uh kind of diminishing returns based on as you said earlier kind of the order that you played them in yeah i will say that the multiplayer aspect of journey i did really mm. enjoy yeah, um, yeah, people just sort of show up. That is really cool. That's something that would be really fun to experience blind as well. Not not expecting another person in your world. But anyways, this is a lazy daydream. It's a it's a very nice piece. It's uh, it, it's not what you might expect looking at us at a game like Flower, where you would expect um, there's so much kind of freedom of movement and especially freedom of pacing 
that you would expect the music to be something that really easily loops and falls to the background, um, something that's just kind of nice and twinkly piano piece that kind of falls underneath everything else. And while this music is decidedly background music, like it's not a uh, not a blaring theme, they they make a very conscious choice of using an acoustic guitar, which is a little bit stronger of an instrument, and it really does kind of come to the forefront of the mix. They are writing a song and not atmosphere, not musical atmosphere in that way. They're being very intentional about wanting to kind of put forth a musical narrative, and um, and I think that goes into uh, kind of shaping the game's identity, especially in the early game, as it can really be a meditative screensaver almost for new players. You know, it's it's you're not immediately given the sense that you need to be pushed in a certain direction, necessarily. So yeah, it's an uh, it's an interesting track, a really lovely soundtrack. Um, it's one that uh, that as you said, we've heard a little bit of before, and I'm sure we'll circle back to because. We like some good nature music. <laughs> so this is Lazy Daydream from Flower. Thank you. 
Uh, always like a little bit of that game company in our lives. Um, let's do a complete 180 and go to something that is uh, decidedly not soothing and natural, uh, but is uh, lovely in a different way. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, well, maybe not natural, but soothing, depending on what you're into, uh, I yeah, guess. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, depending on what kind of mood you're in. Yeah. So uh, we got OCP uh, by Envy, which is stylizes ENV um, from Electronic Superjoy, which are you familiar with it? Yeah, I've played a little bit of it. I, I think I've picked it up twice with like six years in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for other people that may not know about it, it's a action platformer. The All the characters and whatnot, it's all in silhouette, just black and white. But then mm-hmm. there's always a very bright, colorful background in most of the levels, along with some pretty intense, fun, electronic music playing. It's a very striking image that it sets. Am I remembering this correctly? Is this the game with the uh, kind of orgasmic noises as you uh, hit checkpoints and stuff? It such? is, actually. And a <laughs> um, little bit of trivia that I actually just learned last night when mm-hmm. I was sort of researching for this. We're going to hear from Ryan Roth later on mm-hmm. uh, from one of my picks. But I was reading just about him, and apparently he did some of the sound mixing and sound design for this game. And... Mm. Uh, it was his idea to use those noises for the checkpoints. Oh, cool. Cool. Because it does give it a very distinctive uh, tone. And uh, and, and I, I don't think it comes across as being like uh, like controversial or exploitative or anything. But uh, I, I think it just it sets a good kind of like a rave atmosphere. I just thought it was pretty fun and funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, Is this one that you would recommend people go back to? Or is it just something that you like the soundtrack of? Um, I definitely recommend going back to it if you like difficult platformers, um, <laughs> which would probably be my, one of my favorite genres, generally mm. speaking. I haven't, I think I only have like three hours in it on Steam, but okay. I'm pretty sure I beat the whole thing, just like the main game. I haven't gone back to um, doing like, the, I know there's a lot of bonus levels and there's since been maybe like two DLC packs for it. Yeah, I know that there is either an expansion or a sequel that sits at a like a separate Steam entry in my library. Yeah. So there's some sort of continuation there's of Groove of this City, game. which I think okay. is the like yeah, sequel yeah, sort right. of. But then there've also been some DLCs just for the main game. Okay. But I've been thinking about getting it on PlayStation because I'm more interested in the trophies there, replaying it, and probably then diving into the more of the bonus content. You know what this actually makes me think of, and uh, we'll get to the song in just a moment. I don't mean to keep putting that off <laughs> for eager listeners, but um, have you played the game 140 or 140 or however you pronounce that? I think I have that, but I don't think I've played it. I feel like I got it in a Humble Bundle probably. Okay. If you like Electronic Superjoy, then definitely check out 140. It's really inventive and uh, really cool kind of a very kind of a rhythm based platformer but it's a lot more abstract than this and um and it, do, it does some pretty interesting things and it's it's pretty short as well you can probably beat it in one sitting um it's a little bit difficult but it's not unbeatable it's a lot of fun i would definitely recommend checking that one out as well as a follow-up recommendation to electronic super joy also i would say um VVV VVV would be another one to look into. <laughs> yes, uh, that's a that's a classic. Now that must be 
10 years old at this point, at least. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, and that one's on just about any system that you can possibly plug into your television or hold in your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, it probably is, uh, in the libraries of just about everyone listening to this, but, um, yeah, that's a nice one as well with uh, another excellent soundtrack from, uh, from soul. Eye on that one, yep. uh, which I'm sure we will feature music from in the future. If we have not already, has that been covered on Canon Rents? Because I know that um, Super Hexagon's coming up, which is also by Terry Kavanaugh, or yeah, I yeah. how you say his name, but... I don't believe that one has been covered, probably just for the reason that saying the name translates to really poor radio. <laughs> this is true, yeah. Uh, I, I think the community's pronunciation of it is just V's, but um, I don't know. You see, we'll figure it out if we ever uh, end up circling back to it. <laughs> uh, but for now, anyways, this is OCP by ENV from Electronic Superjoy. Another submission from the forum. This is from Mechner, who says, My final submission is an original piece of music written for a game by none other than the late David Bowie. 
I know you have from time to time included songs written by artists for games, i.e. the national song for Portal. This is in my top 10 video games of all time, and the definition of a hidden gem. These days when people talk about David Cage, they talk about how he has disappeared up his own storytelling ass, and he doesn't make games, he makes movies. And people whom talk about his work generally speak of Fahrenheit Indigo Prophecy onwards, merely glossing over the nomad soul. Even Quantic Dream do it themselves, usually without speaking more than two words about it. I'm also looking at you, Kanerman's issues 96 and 100 and 216. <laughs> it is worth your time to be played. Released in 1999, a staggering two years before Grand Theft Auto 3 hit store shelves, and having a free-roaming Blade Runner-styled city where you could drive your car, get out and explore the, sh the stores, restaurants, gun shop, and even morgues, amongst other things. You can attend live concerts of a digital David Bowie, all while playing a detective and solving a mystery. It was such a creative and intriguing game. My first experience of this is borrowing a copy for the PC of a friend in my primary school. I remember walking out from that alley in the opening throws of the first game, being treated with a huge city to explore, which seemed ripe with possibilities, only to be shortly stopped while the unskippable credit sequence rolled, accompanied by none other by David Bowie. As a kid, I hated the song. All I wanted to do is get out there and explore, but Bowie crooned on New Angels of Promise, as I grew older and reinstalled it many times over the years, the song slowly grew on me. So much so that I became a big fan of Bowie. The song is so obscure to Bowie fans that many don't even know of its existence. It is a true cracker of a tune. Rock guitars with heavy backbeats sounding otherworldly, all befit of a cracking game. I hope it at least entices people to play it, because we were promised a sequel that was never cancelled. So I have uh, never also, as a... <laughs> As he bemoaned was kind of a common sentiment, have never played this game before, um, but it is kind of neat to have a, <laughs> a name as big as David Bowie on the show. Um, you know, somebody that's kind of outside of the realm of what you would typically expect to hear from video game music. Um, now, Spencer, are you a, a big Bowie fan? Not really. Um, I've probably listened to maybe one or two of his albums just mm -hmm. randomly and had the urge uh, to check something out, but never really got into him that much. Uh, I do appreciate his appearance in Zoolander. That's <laughs> a, a nice cameo. Similarly, I haven't really played any of Quantic Dreams games. They seem like the sort of thing I would like. Uh, probably not to play by myself, but as sort of like a co-op experience, the way that I played through until dawn and life is strange. I think that's a pretty common thought going into it. They should almost have that on the box. It seems like something I would like. <laughs> IGN. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, I, and you know, I, I give them a hard time. Quantic dreams is a rather divisive studio. And, um, as we've expressed in the, um, the Kahneman's issues that have been mentioned in the, uh, piece that uh that Mechner wrote there are uh, there are split opinions and you can hear both very positive and very negative opinions on uh, each of the quantic dream podcasts that we've recorded in the past uh, i have played heavy rain and uh yeah, had a fine enough time with it it's not perfect but i uh, i enjoyed my time with it um and then i uh have also played uh indigo prophecy aka Fahrenheit, and uh, that is one of the most dreadful games that I have ever played before. Um, although it's 
almost worth experiencing just for the sheer audacity and complete like tone deafness of the storytelling it's kind of a like disaster on the scale of the room if you're into that kind of thing um but it's um it's it's quite an experience it gets real weird at the end i mean to be fair it gets really weird at the beginning uh but it gets really really weird at the end <laughs> uh but uh but anyways yeah there are uh, they come conveniently packaged for modern audiences um both the uh, heavy rain and uh what is it beyond two souls are packaged together on the PS4 uh, re-releases. You can both get you can get both of them on PS3 probably for pretty cheap now. Uh, Fahrenheit has been remastered recently, uh, and I believe that is restricted to the PC, Mac, Linux space. But it might also be on the Xbox One, PS4. Um, worth checking out if you're into again. In my opinion, really terrible storytelling but kind of in a so bad that it's funny kind of way um there's some really weird uh don't even get me <laughs> uh i wish we could record a second cane and rinse on that because it's just i could just talk endlessly about that game anyways um omicron the nomad soul the song that this uh the game that this song is from was uh given away for free from good old games or green man gaming or somebody at the time of uh, david bowie's passing um earlier last year and so you might have that uh on your computer or in one of your online accounts and so if you are curious uh, from the high recommendation that we just received in the run-up to the song there then you can track that down and uh you might already own it at no further expense to yourself uh, so let's go ahead and listen to some david bowie uh with uh Additional credit given to Reeves Gabriel. Uh, this is New Angels of Promise from Omicron, the Nomad Soul.
Yes, so um, as we get into 2017, we're going to be switching things up a little bit on Sound of Play. The uh, the formula isn't going to drastically change, but we are hoping to do our listeners much more of a service uh, by uh, talking about some of the interesting developments in the video game soundtrack space. Uh, since Kane and Rince is uh, not talking about new games, we always wait at least a year um, often 20 <laughs> before talking about a game um, since the time of its release. We always like to give our opinions and kind of the general public consensus time to rise and fall and kind of settle on um, kind of uh, the long-term contextual context <laughs> of of the game um, before we, we talk about it. Um, just to be good art historians, we always like to give that some time but uh, Sound of Play, that's not the case. As you've heard already, we like to play songs that are both very new and songs that are very old. And being a little bit more contemporary of a show, we thought that we'd uh, deliver some uh, some game music news as well. And so um, just a few things that uh, we thought you might enjoy as listeners to this type of podcast. Uh, first of all, we wanted to mention that Sega has put a lot of their music on uh, Spotify that you can listen to for free-ish, free with ads, or you can pay Spotify to take the ads off, however it ends up working out. Um, But it's a very convenient way to listen to a lot of really excellent soundtracks. There's some Sonic the Hedgehog ones, there's some uh, Nights into Dreams, Outrun, uh, which I highly recommend that soundtrack, the Virtua Fighter games, Rhythm Thief and the Emperor's Treasure for something a little bit more new, uh, Jet Set Radio Future, uh, Super Hang On, just a whole bunch of uh, classic and somewhat more modern Sega game soundtracks, so you can check that out on Spotify. Uh, also, we wanted to mention from earlier we played a track from Flower. The Flower soundtrack is being released by I Am 8-Bit on vinyl, uh, which you can get, it looks like a uh, two-disc set, is that the way, a two-record set, I suppose it would be? You can pre-order that. Should come out sometime in quarter one of 2017, and it's uh, it costs 35 American dollars, whatever that translates to in British poundage. But also alongside are the uh, the Flow vinyl and the Journey vinyl, um, all that game companies music there and they come with uh, just really beautifully designed covers and it looks like the uh, there's some art on the records themselves and so that's a uh, another really cool thing to have if you have a little bit of uh, extra money kicking around um, I, I have a couple of uh, of records up on my wall actually I have a framed copy of uh, the Naked Gun 2.5 on Laserdisc so that's, uh, that's close enough to having a record wall, right? <laughs> and uh, one last piece of uh, gaming news that we would like to uh, put forward is that the uh, composer of Dearester and of uh, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, Jessica Curry, who I cannot say enough good things about. Her music is incredible. And then the uh, direction that she, that she does on the, on the Chinese Room games is also mm, just some of my very favorites. Uh, which we've recently gushed about uh, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture on uh, Canon Rinse, and so you can hunt down that issue as well. Uh, but she's hosting a radio program on Classic FM in the UK that's dedicated to video game music, and it sounds like she's going to be contributing some new original music of her own to that venture as well. And so fans of Jessica Curry, uh, or 
aka people with good taste in video game music, <laughs> should should uh, do well to tune in because um, her stuff is incredible, and I'm sure her taste in uh, video game music is uh, on point as well. So um, you can you can uh, read more about that on What's Play video, video Games or other outlets. I'm sure. Speaking of Jessica Curry, this next track comes to us from kind of the game that probably put her and the Chinese room on the map to begin with. This is from Dear Esther, which is uh, Kane and Rince issue 34, if you want to hear some more thoughts about that. Uh, Dear Esther is a walking simulator in probably the the game that kind of defined the walking simulator genre. You take a very slow jaunt around a uh, island, just kind of happen across various points of interest on this island that trigger poetic prose to be read in um, in ways that don't necessarily tell a straightforward story, but give you enough puzzle pieces that you can kind of assemble a story in your mind. Uh, and then each of the, the narration clips are randomized every time you play the game, so you'll always be getting a little bit of a different piece of of that narration of that story. Now, Spencer, do you have much of a stomach for the walking simulator type of game? Yeah, I actually quite enjoy them. Although Dear Esther is a bit of an exception. Everybody's gone to the Rapture. I played last summer. I sort of played just a string of random games that I've heard a lot of good things about. Like I said, uh, I played Journey around the same time. But I played, Mm -hmm. I think it was Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, Dear Esther, Journey and Brothers, all in like a two-week period, probably. That sounds like a good um, couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty fun. It was nice uh, being out of class and whatnot. Dear Esther didn't really click with me. The music was incredible. Mm-hmm. And I think overall, like the atmosphere was nice. But so I think like the nonlinear storytelling, I think I just have to go play it again and maybe it'll make more sense. It is a little bit more of a, a tone poem than a like legitimate story that they're trying to tell you. Yeah. It is, even by my standards, and I love the walking simulator. It's some of my very favorite types of games, and I don't mean to sound like a pretentious hipster, but like I just really like... like One of my favorite things about playing video games is just kind of existing in a different world and... Uh, you know, looking under all the rocks and looking at the trees and looking at the sky and uh, just kind of being somewhere else for a while. And uh, walking simulators do that better than just about any other type of game. And so there's something about them that's always been pretty special to me. And so this or um, Gone Home or Proteus, uh, just all these games are just really kind of magical experiences for me but even by my uh, standard of being uh, the type of audience that this type of thing is ultimately kind of built for uh, this one does come off as being pretty slow Uh, your movement speed is an absolute crawl there are a couple areas that are just kind of like long dead ends off of branching paths and once you realize you're in a dead end and it doesn't loop back around you have to walk a long long way to get back on the path and that's kind of frustrating in a way Uh, and so there's a few choices there that i make it a little hard to replay but um but it is one that i have gone back to at least once and um i've been especially interested in it because of the kind of uh 
ghost story type nature of the game. It sets not only a kind of creepy atmosphere, and uh, you learn pretty quickly that the story that it's telling is probably about somebody's death. There are really, really clever and really very creepy <laughs> moments throughout the game where you can spy a like a shadowy figure peeking at you from over ledges, and you know there are very specific places where you can go. It's not like a random thing. There's no AI at work necessarily, but there are places where you can go, and it's very subtle, but you can see the shape of like a shadowy human up in the lighthouse or in a window or over a hillside or something. And it's one of those things where I, something definitely caught my eye the first time I played the game, but I just kind of dismissed it as, I don't know, like video artifacting or something. I don't know what it would have been, but, uh, uh, maybe just a tree that wasn't rendering correctly, but, um, but as I've gone back to it, there are YouTube compilations of all the times that you can see ghosts in this game. And it's just really, there's something about it that even though you know it's all just pre-programmed code, like it feels like you're not alone there. And that's kind of, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> there was a moment when I was playing Everybody's Gone to the Rapture and I had my 5.1 PlayStation headphones on because I wanted to really fully immerse myself in the atmosphere of that game and I was still pretty early on and that's another game that's kind of creepy in a way like there's not really I I mean there are technically ghosts in that game uh those those balls of light or anything if you choose to read them that way but there's nothing that's explicitly scary about that game but there's something kind of unsettling about walking through this village that looked like it was recently populated and now everybody's gone and uh, you're always kind of on the lookout for something wrong because it always feels like there's something that's just a bit off. I, I was really getting into it. I had my headphones on and I wasn't expecting my, my girlfriend to be coming home that evening. <laughs> and uh, and so I kind of saw her uh, her walking out of the corner of my eye and, and you know how that catches your attention and, and something about like, oh my gosh, there's somebody else standing in my room that I wasn't expecting and I, I was just not in the right headspace to be snuck up on. <laughs> uh, and it really it really freaked me out in a way that uh, I, I am not often scared by video games in that way. But uh, it was uh, it was quite a moment. I'm looking here at my uh, Steam screenshots folder, and mm-hmm. for Dear Esther, 99 screenshots. So <laughs> there's something I liked about it. <laughs> yeah, this game is certainly a looker, especially when you get into those caves. There's something really. Uh, really special about yeah. that. Um, and it, it is a game that features a, a multitude of very visually distinct locales. And so even if you don't like the first half hour, I would say that's probably the weakest portion of the game anyways. And it the pace does pick up a little bit after that. It, it's not going to make you do a complete 180 in your opinion, but um, it might be worth sticking with. Uh, but regardless, whether or not you like playing the game, the music tends to be very well regarded. And uh, that's because Jessica Curry is uh, kind of a genius when it comes to music. Um, these are uh, actually two tracks that are woven together because they, they play very much the same theme. The first one is the title track, Dear Esther, the second of which is called Standing Stones. And uh, they play the same theme, but they go in different directions, uh, kind of later on, uh, later on in the uh, rotation of the song repeating. And uh, the first time it plays 
this weird kind of, as you were saying, kind of a radio voice. Uh, it's kind of like somebody is singing along, but there's something really distorted and kind of ghostly about it. And I really love that because it, uh, it does uh, really invoke that ghostliness uh, of, the, uh, of the game. Um, and all those, those creepy moments of seeing something out of the corner of your eye. Yeah, there's something about this, uh, the first... Uh, the first track, Dear Esther, that really brings that out and is kind of an uncomfortable listen, but it's also really beautiful at the same time. And that's some of my favorite stuff. And then uh, Standing Stones, the second track that's uh, going to be interwoven here, uh, instead of the ghostly vocals, plays a really crisp and uh, and very, uh, very clean and clear violin um, accompaniment, uh, playing roughly the same part. But it's... Uh, it sets a very different tone. It's more kind of mournful, like you would get at a funeral after somebody's died or something like that. And so it's um, two very different takes on the same song, but we will hear them both back to back right now. This is Dear Esther and Standing Stones by Jessica Curry, who you can hear on uh, English radio pretty soon here. Uh, this is from Dear Esther.
Okay, this next track is another one that uh, probably uh, would fit a little bit more cleanly after your electronic super joy track. It's uh, actually pretty similar in uh, mood and style. Another very kind of upbeat and fun electronica track. This is from Flabio from the forum, who uh, didn't write anything with it, at least if our notes are to be believed. Uh, apologies, Flabio, if, uh, if we overlooked anything. But this is called Neo City. And it's composed by Hiroki Hashimoto from Pokken Tournament. So one of the games that is kind of up for grabs as an audience pick for uh, the upcoming Evo tournament. Uh, this is a 3D fighter, which is a genre that is becoming more and more popular as the years go on. We had uh, some very good Naruto fighting games earlier on that kind of embraces 3D space. Uh, the Soul Calibur games are kind of like half-hearted committals to being 2d or 3d fighters that can't really end up making up their mind uh and then the upcoming uh arms for the nintendo switch is a very um it looks to be a inventive and fun 3d fighter as well uh spencer do you have uh, a lot of experience with uh fighting games and 3d fighters in uh, particular um as far as 3d fighters go i played a lot of soul Calibur 2 on the gamecube yes. and aside from that i think the only other one would be the dragon ball z budokai series i have played xenoverse 2 i believe i was reviewing it for game critics i'm not a dragon ball fan myself but i was a little disappointed by that one because i had heard the dragon ball fighting games talked up so much um, what are those like? Because I feel like I probably didn't get the best experience with the one that I picked to jump in on. Yeah, so Xenoverse, I haven't played. My brother's played those, and he seems to really enjoy them. But from what I've watched of him playing them, they don't seem to be the quite the same style okay. as the Budokai games. The Budokai games were more traditional fighters, where you're just like usually one-on-one, mm-hmm in some sort of like stage or an arena and Xenoverse from what I saw of it seems like it takes slightly more like an open approach to it where you have multiple enemies or multiple allies all at once and you sort of have some sort of character Mm. progression. Yeah. Yeah. But then I've been back to the second game somewhat recently. I was able to find like a secondhand copy fairly cheap and Mm. doesn't hold up quite as well as I remember. (laughs) Well, you know, it's an older one now and maybe, uh, maybe the, uh, development of 3D fighting games has moved a little way since then. Yeah, but Smash Brothers is definitely my fighting game series mm-hmm. of choice. Uh, yeah. Mostly Melee, but back in would have been three years ago now, me and some friends uh, started getting into the competitive local scene here mm-hmm. and haven't really kept up with that, just being too busy with class and things like that and work. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's definitely an enjoyable game. Uh, but anyways, let's listen to a little bit of Pokemon music. This is from Pokemon Tournament. This is called Neo City. And uh, was requested by Flabio from the forum.
the demo, just like with Rhythm Heaven, um, I played the mm-hmm. demo of Pokin. Just didn't grab me. Oddly, like I don't do a whole lot of demos uh, on the mm-hmm. Wii U or 3DS, but it was set up like either you can only play it so many times, or it might have been like a time limit enforced demo. I forget. Yeah, I know that uh, 3DS demos do that as well. It's a very nice looking game. Looks like one that I could get into if I uh, ended up purchasing it. Um, I always want to, but I'm kind of holding out hope that there's going to be like a definitive Switch version because there's a whole bunch of of DLC fighters that have come out in Japanese arcades only. And so I'm thinking they've got the code. They have to bring them west at some point. So if they make a version with all of the fighters in it, then I'll, I'll probably end up purchasing it. Yeah, but that's an interesting one because it transitions from a very kind of free open 3D space to being a 2D fighter. I think whenever you initialize a special type of move, it kind of switches between the two planes there. So um, an interesting one, one that I definitely want to understand a little bit more about. Uh, Let's move on to another uh, piece. It's not a Nintendo piece, but one that appeared on the N64. This is a uh, very uh, special mix of Banjo-Kazooie songs, actually. Of course, um, some of my favorite music. (laughs) Uh, This is a mix that uh, I got from a fan-made soundtrack. It was one of those, I think, before Grant Kirkup ended up releasing his, you know, everything Banjo-Kazooie um, he put on his, I don't know, SoundCloud or Bandcamp or something at one point. But before all that, we had to rely on fan bootlegs and people who had uh, dumped the ROM files and encoded the MIDIs and uh, released these really great quality rips. And uh, one thing that was included in one of these soundtracks, and I wish I could um, properly attribute it to the uh, the specific instance of the soundtrack that it was on, but I cannot, unfortunately, apologies. It is a uh, a mix of the music from Gobi's Valley, both the kind of standard theme of Gobi's Valley and also the theme that plays when you're standing in front of the, uh, the Sphinx, which is called Jinxie. Uh, and so this is a... Uh, just both of those themes very kind of crudely overlaid on top of one another, uh, just kind of one on top of the other. Um, nothing else has really been done to it, but it it shows some of that magic of that time of uh, MIDI recordings when it was really easy to drop in and drop out instruments, and uh, you would get that kind of subtle cross-fading of sounds as you uh, stepped closer to certain elements of the open world of Banjo-Kazooie. And I, I guess this must be what it would have sounded like if you were standing kind of right in between the two areas or uh, the uh, the types of notes that we'd be playing as they were kind of cross-fading between the two tracks. And um, yeah, I just I just really like the way that these two come together and they kind of play uh, as the uh, the Jinxie song is very regal. It, uh, it it very much kind of swings upwards in his uh, his kind of like grand kingliness over this land. Uh, there's something very kind of powerful and triumphant about it. Whereas the uh, the main Gobi Valley uh, song kind of playfully, wistfully descends downwards, and so the two kind of contrasting off of each other as the notes continue to diverge it creates a really interesting harmony between the two um and it's interesting to think that you know these pieces of music were meant to be listened to 
uh, just one at a time, but the fact that they go together so well is kind of testament to the uh, the work that Grant Kirkhope was doing on that soundtrack. And so let's go ahead and listen to some Gobi's Valley, a mix of the Maine and Jinxies area by Grant Kirkhope.
right, we have one track left today, but before we play that, I want to remind everybody that you can venture over to our forum at canonrins.com slash forum, or get in touch with us on Twitter at canonrins. Uh, we have a Patreon where you can uh, send us a little bit of uh, money if you choose to. It's just kind of a virtual donations box. Uh, we don't lock anything behind paywalls because we want all of the podcasts that we produce to be free and uh, available for everybody. Um, but it, it does help the show sound a little bit better. It does help kind of pay for some of our hosting fees and uh, and smooths out the entire process for everybody. Um, so ultimately, we, we can deliver a higher quality product. Um, not that we are ashamed of what we put out already. <laughs> it only, only seeks to improve, but we are always hoping to get better at what we do. I am Ryan Heyman. I would just like to thank Spencer Saunders for joining me again today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, is there anything that you would like to plug of your own work or where people can reach you on social media or anything that uh, you wanted to draw attention to while you have a bit of a platform? If people wanted to, I guess they could follow me on Twitter, although that's usually just a lot of nonsense. I think that's Twitter in general. That should be right up there in the in the um, tagline. Yeah, or we can put that on the on the cover of yep. it. <laughs> Whole lot of nonsense. Um, but otherwise, sometimes I occasionally try to write stories uh some people have said they're okay uh telepri.wordpress.com which i haven't put anything on there let's see since august are these fiction stories yes yeah all cool. fiction of, of what variety so uh to kind of whet the listener's appetite horror i guess okay cool horror cool. mystery like uh supernatural i guess would probably be a better term for it because it's not particularly scary but it says supernatural <laughs> sure. elements and things yeah well it sounds like something i can definitely get into um aside from that i just say uh to check out the things i've written on Kane and Renz. yes that's right uh, check out telepri at wordpress or um you can also check out his pieces on Kane and Renz. uh thanks again for uh for joining me today do you want to introduce the very last track what are you going to take us out on yes so um speaking of things that I've written about on Canon Rents. I think this was the first thing that I wrote about, uh, the beginner's guide. And I believe, do you also have a piece on there about it? Yeah. You know, I wrote a piece back before, and I'm not trying to be like, I wrote a piece before it was cool. Like I wrote a piece before there was kind of the general, there was enough general conversation to where I, once I played the game, I had the feeling that a lot of people kind of took the ending either literally or as just storytelling. And uh, it was early enough on that a lot of the conversations that were happening at the time was a lot of people saying like, is this a real guy? Is this not a real guy? And so when I wrote my piece, I kind of wanted to be very, um, I had my opinion, but I wanted to be very kind of like open to people who thought like, yeah, maybe this is a real guy. And so I feel like in retrospect, when I read the piece now, I'm a little bit too generous now that we've kind of settled on the consensus of like, no, absolutely. This is all fake and fabrication. Uh, and so I go back to the piece now and I'm like, oh gosh, I, I look a little naive. <laughs> uh, but uh, what, what was the piece that you wrote about it? Um, I was focusing more on the uh, style that it was presented in, how it was presented sort of in like a documentary style, mm -hmm. which as far as games that I've played, it was like the first time I've seen something like that. Yeah, really novel. I certainly was questioning whether or not Coda was real 
or fictional right. immediately after playing it. Yeah, because it's not a fantastical story. It's a very, very grounded, very human story being told. Yeah. The fact that it is a video game brings to the experience where it's like this story could just be told in like a documentary film fashion, but the games actually let you like explore what the the subject, um, Coda, like what he was trying to do or what he was going through in some way. This particular track, Va, happens, I want to say towards the middle of the game. I don't want to really give it away, like give too much of the game away for people that haven't played it. I would encourage just to go play it. But it's a very like peaceful setting and mm-hmm. sort of like a calm in the storm. Is this the... Uh, and again, I don't want to spoil things, but is this the uh, the house? The house cleaning? Yes. Yes. Okay, cool. I am on board. <laughs> yeah. This uh, is probably my favorite part of the game as far as like game elements, which are very sparse mm-hmm. within the game. Yeah. But yeah, something about it just feels extremely relaxing and... I don't know, that like, scene really got under my skin. Like, I found it to be very creepy. Really? <laughs> yeah. Something uh, about how, like, how it was dark outside and your uh, the door to your home was open, and then every time you left the room, something about it would change. Like, kind of gave me the sense that I wasn't as alone as I thought I was in this home. Maybe I'm just paranoid. This is the second time this evening that I've talked about feeling like I'm being watched. <laughs> yeah. No, for me, I thought, like... The darkness outside was definitely like, um, I believe Davey, the narrator, um, mm-hmm. mentions this as like, you can't stay there forever. So you know that you're going yeah. to have to face it eventually. But just that sort of like calm, like repetition and like the soothing music playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's at least like a bit of relief from everything else that's going on. Yeah, yeah. Because the game does go in a lot of very different directions and uh, um, sets some very... Uh, very extreme tones sometimes. But yeah, this is a very peaceful track, very uh, peaceful piece of music from a very memorable portion of the game. And so that's a very nice way to go out this evening. One last thing that I want to mention before we play this piece of music, uh, and I almost forgot to bring it up even, but uh, Leon alluded to this last week, as this is Sound of Play 79, uh, that makes next one Sound of Play 80, And as we have uh, liked to do ever since uh, Sound of Play 50, we like to do something special on the 10th Sound of Play, something a little bit longer where we explore the entire musical history of a series as a whole. And next week on Sound of Play 80, we're going to be listening to the music of Katamari Damasi, that entire long, long running and long rolling series. And the, uh, the, brilliant bizarre baffling um j-pop music that goes along with it so expect another very very eclectic show next week as we take a two-hour look at katamari damasi <laughs> i'll be looking forward to that yes but until then we have a very nice pieces is va by ryan roth and helene heron from the beginner's guide and we'll see you next week mm-hmm.